0: Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Anyone ever experienced resurrection power? Yeah? You ever seen the resurrection power of God playing out in a moment where you've seen sick people healed and you've seen spiritually dead people come alive? I mean, if you haven't and you know Jesus, you're one of them, right? You know, at one point, you were out of a relationship with Jesus. You were lost. You were broken and blind. The Scripture says in many ways that we were dead, dead to life, walking dead people, I think Louise said. We were on Friday and Saturday. Um, but I, I've seen many moments where God has moved powerfully in front of my eyes. I've, I have seen sick people healed and seen many people come to Christ, had the pleasure and privilege of leading a number of people to Jesus, which is like the highest, highest uh, honor, if you like, you can experience in life. He's just leading someone into a relationship with Jesus. But there was one time, there was one time, and uh, for those of you who don't know, my, my name is Dom, and um, I, I really pastor this church by the grace of God, because I don't really possess any pastoral qualities. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, for those of you who know me, go, yep. That's why we miss Phil. (laughs) You know, I I don't get the opportunity to preach at funerals, really. Um, I'm just not the go-to person. In fact, in recent history, when people from Sunny Hill have died, they specifically requested in their will that Phil would come back from Penzance (laughs) and um, officiate their funeral. And there was this one occasion a few years ago And uh, Teresa can testify, I think she's working this morning, but you can check it out with her, this story where um, this loved member of Sunny Hill, an older chap, uh, before many of your time at this church, and um, his wife rang me, he'd been ill for a long time, and his wife rang me and says, the doctor has called, or the hospital have let us know that basically probably by the end of this week, he's going to be passing into glory. And so it would be great if you could come and just lead him in communion Uh, He loves Psalm 23, so it'd be great if you could just rally around the family and just read Psalm 23. And so I I go to his home, and I'm at his bedside, and I always feel awkward about these moments because I know of my propensity to be too jovial in moments or to not fully appreciate the weight of emotion in the room. Um, Many of you will know that, like, I struggle with um, crying people. Now, God is doing a work, right, (laughs) where, you know, like, I walk into a room and I assess where all the fire exits are in any given moment. Um, but the Lord is doing a work and I think I'm getting better. But uh, I was still uh, not that really developed as a pastor in the kingdom of God at this point. And um, so I'm praying in the car and say, God, just please help me to say the right things that are going to kind of just um, put the family at ease. Help me, to, help me to just offer words of wisdom that will really just comfort them in this moment of dire need. And... Um, I, I go and take communion, and the, the guy, I won't say his name because um, many of you will go, You did what? Right? Um, <laughs> but he, he was kind of, you know, he wasn't really fully conscious of the moment, wasn't fully cognitive in the room. Uh, but his family was all around. His wife was there, his daughters over here, their husbands and grandchildren and stuff. There's probably about 10, 15 people in the room. And um, I read Psalm 23. And I, I, I put my hand just on his leg. He's under kind of a, he's in a hostel bed in his house. I put my hand on that leg and I'm holding, clutching his, his right hand here. And I'm just praying. And I'm just saying, "Well, comfort the family. And he, he was old. And when people get older, I don't know if this is helpful to say or not, I get less inclined to pray for healing, to be honest, because <laughs> heaven's not bad. Heaven's a good option, okay? Um, and... I, yeah, you can see now why I don't get, <laughs> I don't get many pastors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally get that phone call in the night. Um, <laughs> but other people do in church. Um, so it takes a team to lead a church. So praise God for that. And there are people like the Mengels and the Goldenbergs who are really good with people. So that's good. Um, but I'm just praying. But I just feel in this moment, just pray, pray for him that if it's God's will, that like, God would put breath back in his lungs and he would come about. And so I just lean in and I start praying. And I'm praying this. And my eyes are shut. And as I'm praying, literally, he, he starts levitating. You're like, what? He starts literally. <laughs> and I hear him try to muster some words. I hear him go, Ugh. and I'm like, this is a full blown miracle right now. <laughs> I'm going to write a book tonight when I get home and sell it on Amazon. This is going to be awesome. And I, and I, and I like, lean in, because I feel like he wants to say something as he's rising. And then that's when his wife taps me on the shoulder, and my leg was pressing on the button. <laughs> on the bed. And the bed was... <laughs> <laughs> and all that was simply happening is I was pushing the air out of his lungs. As, And it's hard in that moment because you've got a relatively emotional, teary family. And I'm just, I don't know how to get out of this moment. Obviously, I pull my leg away because I'm not going to go full tilt and just like like accordion him into glory, you know. God loves the accordion, right? So I just, I set my thing back and I'm just like, I just push that back down. (laughs) Now, the good news is... um, um, Unfortunately, um, his wife doesn't come to Sunny Hill anymore, (laughs) but totally unrelated, totally unrelated, I think. Um, But no, they knew me, and they they found it quite comical, and we reflected on that at the funeral, so I don't need to think that I'm being really insensitive there. It was a funny moment that they still talk about. Uh, Well, she does. Obviously, he's gone to glory. (laughs) You can see why now. (laughs) I don't get involved in pastoral situations of this nature. Um, but if Pat saying, please stop. What did you say? Don't come and visit me. Please please don't come and see me. When I'm in that moment and the hospital says there's not <laughs> long left. Feel free to stay away. That, that will be your act of love and your act of mercy as the pastor. <laughs> oh, I'll come, Pat. Don't worry about that. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Oh. Just imagine walking into a room and she's like, oh, no! <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, I don't get asked to speak at many funerals. Incidentally, I did speak at his funeral, so I didn't burn all the bridges. Uh, but as I was thinking this week about what could I share, what can I speak to you on this really exceptional day, on this important day, and I thought, well, you know, especially now, I'm not sure I'll ever get the opportunity to speak at any funerals of people at Sunny Hill, right? Um, and so I thought today, what I'm going to do, if you put the slide up, Matthew, that'd be great, thank you. I'm going to tell you what I'd say at your funeral, Okay. Because I've always wanted to speak at a funeral. So I thought today I'm going to do a collective funeral for you all, okay? (laughs) And I thought, I'm going to tell you, don't look so scared, okay? It's all good. You're in good hands. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly safe. (laughs) Um, But I thought, what would I say if I was going to speak at your funeral? What would I say if I was looking out at a room of your family and friends? People who loved you. And your casket is there, and you're in there. What is it that I would say? Well, in truth, I'd want to speak about death. And actually, <laughs> I'd want to speak about resurrection. And this is how I might go about it. I'd start by looking at Matthew 28. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with us, but it will be on the screen as well. Matthew 28, this is the moment of revelation where there's that understanding that Jesus has risen. Matthew 28, verse 1. Listen to this. Early on the Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, if you are inclined to make notes or underline things in your scripture, I'd love you just to underline that very first bit. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And actually, we know in another gospel, they were going to uh, take spices, which was custom. And so I was thinking in the week, these are like the original Spice Girls right here, okay? Just saying, just saying, okay? Again, this is probably why I won't get an invitation to preach it, if you know. But verse 2, suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him. So the Romans had assigned some guards because they knew that there was this uprising of Christianites, followers of Jesus, who might cause trouble. So they assigned guards to go, because normally you don't guard a grave, do you? Normally there's no concern that like, there's going to be trouble there, but they were worried that disciples might come and take the body to try and propagate this idea that Jesus was who he said he was. But what we actually read is that the guards shook with fear because they saw that there was this supernatural moment playing out. And when they saw him, they fell into a dead faint. I mean, a glorious uh, visitation here. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. Interesting moment when these Roman war champions had just fainted because they were overwhelmed by the glory of God and probably dread of the reality this angel says to the women, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And this is the point of celebration for us. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. This crazy moment playing out where the disciples are having this real-time awakening. Oh my gosh, this has actually happened. At the start of worship today, we played a short resurrection video that depicted this moment where Mary comes back and tells the disciples, literally, Jesus isn't there, he's risen, and then they sprint to the grave. Now, Psalm 23, verse 4, it's kind of interesting. This is a psalm that obviously I read at the bedside of that poor chap I went to pray with on his, uh, in his last few moments. And David makes an interesting observation. Now remember, David was before Jesus. Okay, So this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus came as a baby. Okay, So this is many years before Jesus came. And we read in Psalm 23, David would write many songs, and this is one of his observations. He says, even though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of what does it say? Death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting that David makes an observation that death is like a lingering shadow. And it's especially interesting because um, sometimes shadows can be distorted from the actual subject, but ultimately David is saying that like life is like walking through a valley that is under the shadow of death. There's an imminency about death for everybody. Uh, Yet David says, but I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now David lived well acquainted with the threat of death. Think about his life just for a minute. He fought lions and bears in order to protect his father's sheep. Um, He confronted the war champion, Goliath. Okay, You remember that story where David, a young lad, faces up to this war champion of the Philistine army, and he defeats him, but in any given moment, it made sense that Goliath would have killed David, so there was a threat of death there. David was also the number one wanted on King Saul's hit list for years, so much so that David spent so much, many years, about, I think it's eight to nine years, on the run, hiding in caves. He fought in numerous battles, and David even even experienced the loss of his own child because of his very actions. And it's interesting because in Psalm 23, verse 4, David speaks to the comforting presence of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, this was before Jesus' time, yet David was speaking to this reality of the comfort of God in the midst of death, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, this is something that I just need you to understand, because this is Old Testament stuff. It's important to note that David could know the comfort of God in the face of death, but he could not know the victory of God over death. Death still had the last word. Death still had the final say. And then a little bit later, about 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament speaks to the reality of death. And listen what he says in Isaiah 25, verse 6. He says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. So Isaiah is, if you like, he's speaking to a future reality that was not yet here. He says in verse 7, There he will remove the cloud of gloom The shadow of death that hangs over the earth. Now, what was David's um, understanding in Psalm 23? We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Isaiah is prophesying to a future day where the shadow of death that hangs over the earth will be removed. In verse 8, Isaiah prophesies this. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Isaiah is speaking to a future reality that the Lord will bring about for his people. And I just wanted to take our mind back to Matthew 28, verse 1, just for a minute, because remember what was said. And when I read this in the week, I felt this prophetic just surge going through me. Matthew 28, verse 1, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. So in the Old Testament, You could know the comfort of God in the face of death. But you couldn't know the victory of God over death. There was a lingering shadow, a gloomy reality that people lived under. But Isaiah speaks to a future day where that experience is going to be swallowed up in victory. And then we read Matthew 28 verse 1. We read early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. We live in the time where death has been swallowed up in victory. That's the moment in which we live. The new day was different to the last day. Saturday was occupied with despair disappointment, discouragement. Saturday, death was still reigning. Death still had the last word. And in that famous preach, Sunday's coming, these words, the world's winning, people are sinning, evil is grinning. That's Friday and Saturday reality. Now make no mistake about it, everything culminated in Jesus dying on the cross on Friday but almost anticlimatically, Jesus' body was taken from the cross and put in a grave because that's where you put dead bodies. I love the cross. I have nothing without the death of Jesus on the cross. It's at the cross, listen to this, where I come broken. It's at the cross where my sin is atoned for by the blood of Jesus, the perfect and spotless lamb that we've been singing about this morning. It's at the cross where my healing is found. It's at the cross where he takes my sin and I receive his righteousness. It's at the cross where I surrender, and as that amazing hymn, Louise's favorite hymn, Here is Love, it says, it's at the cross where heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. But I only know, listen to this, I only know that the cross worked because the grave was empty. The empty tomb is proof that Jesus' death was sufficient on the cross for me. If there's a cross and no resurrection, then there's no hope. If we have Good Friday without Easter Sunday, as wonderful as that sacrificial act is of Jesus, hanging on the cross for every sinner who was spitting in his face, If there is no Easter Sunday, then it was just a good man who did an interesting thing. But if the grave was truly empty, then it's proof that there's power in the blood. That the cross works. And listen, some churches, some Christians still live, worship, give, relate as though it's Saturday. but a new day has dawned. We're no longer marked by despair, discouragement, disappointed, fearing the looming shadow of death. We're an Easter Sunday church. We're an Easter Sunday people. We live, love, and laugh in light of Easter Sunday reality. Death is no longer the final Goliath. For in Christ and through Christ, Goliath's head has been cut off once and for all. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. So this is many years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul was an apostle, a significant guy in the New Testament, who lived after Jesus' death. He didn't know Jesus in the physical. He encountered Jesus after Jesus had died and rose again. But listen to his revelation in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Listen to the reference that he gives. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death Where is your sting? Referencing that Isaiah passage. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Death has been neutralized. I need you to get this at this funeral service here today. For those of you who don't know Jesus, friends and family of the deceased, your future can be different simply because Jesus lives. Your loved one is dead. but they won't die because he lives. Death has been swallowing up potential victory upon potential victory for millennia, but now the table has turned. Death has now been swallowed up in victory like a snake that has a bite but no venom, like a lion who has a mouth but no teeth, like a scorpion that has a tail but no sting, death is present, but it's impotent of its power for those who are in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, death is still the Goliath that somehow in your own strength you need to defeat, but you will not be able to because only the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, can neutralize the power of sin and death. That's why we call on the name of Jesus. Because my name isn't going to get you very far. We're not building a church that says, oh, Dom's good, or the band's good, or the welcome's nice, or the coffee's great. No, it's Jesus-centered. Jesus-centric. It's all about him. Jesus at the center. I can't raise you from the dead, but he can. Paul talks about that transformation that will come at the end, and Ben maybe you want to come up on the keys just to make sure that I finish um, there's this famous painting now i 'm not really into um, art it's not really my my lane at all um, I, I I you know walk around a museum and'm I try to be interested because it looks good doesn't it if you're standing looking at a painting for ages um, but honestly to be honest you know when i'm there i 'm just like Show me something, Lord, I can't, why is there so many layers to this? But I did come across this uh, picture that I thought was really interesting. Can you just hang it up, can you put it up on there, please? Um, this is a, a painting that was in the Louvre for years. Is that how you pronounce it, the Louvre, in Paris, yeah? Because it's spelled Louvre, right? And I thought I'd ask Anthony today, because he like Louvre, Bonjour, Bonjour. J'adore. Um... That's it. <laughs> That's the extent of my GCSE French, okay? Although I can say uh, oh no. When I went into the GCSE because I because my French speaking, I'm a midlander and Midlanders can't do foreign accents at all. And um, cuz it's like je voudrais dom. Is that is, is that, right? No, je m'appelle, isn't it? Je m'appelle... <laughs> That's why I should just stick on track. I mean, what was good about this? I remember one of my mates says, Dom, if you don't know what they're saying to you in the verbal exam, just say, je ne sais pas. They should pass you. Because basically, what I'm saying is, I don't know. I don't know. So they might be, je ne sais pas. Anyway, that might be marginally racist. I don't know. Because um, it it's French, it feels less so. Um, no, I didn't mean that to be racist either. But it, I don't know. Okay, right. Anyways, this painting. Handed in the, Louvre in Paris. In Paris. Um, (laughs) It's a, anyway, we're at a funeral. Get serious, right? It's a famous painting. Um, I can't pronounce the artist, so I'm not going to try. A Renaissance painting. Um, It's been owned by a private collector since 99, but hung in uh, that museum in Paris for many years. And what it depicts is um, Satan... On the left, playing a saint. On the right, uh, chess. The painting is actually titled The Game of Life. And it's an interesting picture, just for a moment, because you can see there's an angel in the background who is looking on with somewhat of a gloomy face, almost like a little bit concerned about the fate of the antagonist on the right. And Satan, on the left, is staring down his opponent. And you can see a number of things, like a, I don't have a laser pointer, but you can see down here there's this beast creature that is clutching a skull in the bottom left. You can also see um, in the table, the artwork, you can see schools and weird creatures coming out the ground. It depicts just like this. that that this game is just, like, not going in a good direction. You can even see a spider um, crawling off the... I hate spiders. Like, on the table there, kind of eyeing down, um, again, the uh, saint, potentially ready to cast a web or something. And this painting is called The Game of Life, and it's dubbed also another name, which is The Checkmate. Because it's a bit of a hopeless situation, and um, I thought I'll, I would give you some art critique. But I'm not going to offer you mine because I'm rubbish at art. So let me give you some renowned critics from back in the early 1800s who wrote about this piece of work. That's so what they said. They said, this is one of the things. The peculiar powers of the artist have here a fine field for their exertion. The finely formed but wicked and terrific, um, terrific countenance of Satan is directed towards his victim who he is watching with a wariness and stern purpose that makes us tremble for the beautiful and youthful antagonist. Satan, the fallen angel, is robed in a mantle with broad folds. One hand is supporting his chin, and the other grasps a figure of peace which he is taking from the board. He's removing peace. So that piece that he's got in his hand normally depicts in chess the figure of peace, and he's removing that from the board. Um, It says, the young man rests his head upon his hands as if he were fearful of impending ruin and desirous of averting it. Another critique says this, the chess pieces themselves represent the struggle. The black king's modeling, so the black figures, echoes the mantle and cap of his master, urging his soldiers onwards. The figure immediately in front of the king tramples on a cross. You can't really see it in this, but the figure in front of the king on the black team there Um, is trampling on a cross and it's alluding to Satan's avowed aim of destroying Christ's church while the griffin headed monster to his left raises his left arm as though in peace meanwhile hiding a vicious stiletto behind his back I encourage you to go and check this painting out for yourself so you can look at the details such terrible intent is repeated throughout the black pieces who advance seemingly without respite on the virtuous white set This advance is rhymed by the approach of the spider towards the man, which with its power to spin a fatal web symbolizes Satan's mission to ensnare the believer. There was so much conversation about this art piece that it was dubbed the checkmate. Because it's a man playing for his future. It's a man playing for his life. It's a man playing for his soul. And it's implied here that Satan has won. It's just a matter of time. That the plight of the man is so at the end that there is next to little hope. Even the angel looks on in despair knowing that the outcome is pending. The imminent destruction of the man is so evident that for years the art piece was dubbed the checkmate. Now interestingly, in the early 1900s, a chess grandmaster, someone who's really good at chess, was walking through the museum where this painting was hung, looking at the Mona Lisa, looking at the Liberty Leading the People painting, looking at the Wedding at Cana. But it was when he got to this lesser-known painting that it really caught his attention. And he stood there for ages, taken with it, hours, just looking at it, looking at the chessboard, looking at the pieces, enjoying the art, inspecting the chessboard. And he couldn't understand why this painting had been nicknamed the Checkmate, as though the outcome was already determined. He spoke to the art exhibition manager, and these were his words exactly. He says, you need to change the name. He says, the king still has a move. The king, on the white side, still has a move. The game isn't over. I love how he didn't say the man still has a move because the man clearly is taking a beating. But the piece that has the potential of overturning the almost guaranteed outcome is the king. Now, just to speak to you on a personal level just for a minute, this is what I sense God was saying, is that maybe some of you feel as though the game is over. Maybe you feel as though the enemy has kicked you all over the game of life. Maybe you feel like you are living in the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you feel like you're out of options. Listen, Friday happened. Saturday happened. But the king still had a move. It's Easter Sunday. Death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. More aptly, Satan has been conquered. Satan has been defeated. And we now live in the wake of, of that victory. That's why it's a happy day. That's why it's a glorious day. Death was arrested. Checkmate. Death, when we think of death, obviously speaks to the conclusion of life. But there can be many facets of your life that experience a death this side of that death. It can be a death of joy, it can be a death of hope, it can be a death of faith, it, it can be a relational death, a division. Maybe it's a death of a dream or a vision, maybe it's the death of belief in a promise that God gave you years ago. That actually, death can really look like many things, that side of death. But I guess all I want you to hear today as you get ready to go home and eat your dinner and eat chocolate is this. The resurrection proves that the king still has a move, that there's no situation that is so stacked against him that he is not unable to bring you into victory. For every person who doesn't know Jesus today, I encourage you to put your faith in him. Because even though you may be experiencing all of these minor deaths, the biggest death is still waiting for you. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 214 15. I never noticed it until this week. He says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Listen to this. Only in this way could he set free all who have have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That Jesus' death doesn't just conquer death. It has the power to conquer the fear of death. The spirit of death. When you think about every fear that you can cultivate in life, my personal opinion is that all of them serve this fear of death. When you have um, this fear of anxiety, what are you anxious about? Ultimately, it will lead to, um, I don't know, sickness. Maybe it's a fear of sickness or whatever it may be. But all of them serve this spirit of death. But the writer of Hebrews is, is keen to say that he set us free from uh, living our lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So if you're fearful today at this funeral service, right? don't fear for the person in the casket. I knew them. They were in relationship with Jesus. They're all good. But today, Jesus doesn't just want to deal with the final death for you. He wants to deal with the fear in you also. The death of Christ dealt a swift blow. As believers in Christ, we no longer wander this earth in despair, disappointment, or discouragement. No. As Romans 8.37 says, Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is as through Christ who loved us. 2 Timothy one verse seven says, God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Romans 8.15 says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. Death is not the end, it's just the beginning. In Christ, resurrection power has had its way, and death is no longer a dead end, it's a gateway. It's a gate to an eternity where there is no more experience of death. John, in his vision, in the book of Revelation, tells us this about Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And just to land this, if you don't know Christ today, let me tell you what is essential to you being saved. Romans 10 verse 9 says... If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in the resurrection of Christ is of paramount importance to your salvation. It does not say, believe he died on the cross for you. It says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, But believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. It's the pinnacle of our faith. Why? For if Christ was not raised, you cannot be raised. If Christ stayed in the grave, you stay in the grave. If the cross did not work then, it won't work now. And it's hard because we are a physical people. We want to see the product of that which we believe. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And listen, you may not have all the answers today. Maybe you're in an analytical mind and you're just like, "Uh, "Well, still some questions here. Listen, I still have questions. People who have been walking with Jesus for 100 years still have questions. But the crux of our faith is not having all the answers. The crux of our faith, can you go back to that piece of art? The crux of our faith is recognizing we're the man on the right. That we are burned out. That we are limping, fading, struggling, hurting, harming, aching, longing, needing, tiring, tapping out. And simply the encouragement is this to recognize that the King still has a move, that He can bring you back to life. And it's not just life into eternity, but even life now in its abundance, in its fullness. You may be despairing, but listen, he's the God of hope. You may be sick, listen, he's the God of healing. Listen, you may be lonely and familyless, but he's the God of the orphans who puts the lonely into families. He's everything you need today. And the fact that we can be here in this moment together is only because of him. And I just want to create that moment for people this morning who just feel like they're, they're, they're being beaten in this game of life and that Satan is having the last word. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to put your faith in Christ, to actually confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And maybe for some of you, this is an old confession, maybe you prayed years ago, but you haven't been walking with the Lord for a long time and actually you're cold to him. And you are questioning, you know, maybe your upbringing all this sort of stuff. Uh, it just feels like God is a, a million miles away, maybe just irrelevant and inaccessible. Listen today. Come to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to him for salvation. Confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And know the life of God, the resurrection power, consume your being. So every head, just to be bowed, just for a minute. First of all, I want to pray, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for not giving up on us or holding out. Thank you for coming of flesh. Thank you for dying so that we could live. Thank you for going toe-to-toe with Satan. Thank you for conquering death and sin and its power and its shadow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that that means right now we can know you. We can come to you. We can surrender to you. And Father, I just pray in these moments, Lord, that you would just open hearts, touch hearts. God, bring forgiveness, bring grace, bring mercy. Thank you, Lord, that there's not one sinner who is beyond your reach. Thank you, Lord, that there's not one thing we have done that excludes us from your salvation. If we call on your name. And God, right now, we just come into this holy moment together and just ask you, Lord, that Father, you would minister to people. Jesus. So that today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is going to be one appeal I do. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, and maybe you've come feeling like just battered by life and you're struggling and limping. And you just want to surrender to him today. I just want, I'm not going to get you to come down. I just want you to raise your hand where you are. I want to see if there's anybody here that wants to make that decision today. We like to do that on Sundays because it's a great opportunity. And we'd like to give you a, some stuff to help you as you make this commitment. And we'd like to pray with you at the conclusion of the service also. But if that is you this morning, just raise your hands where you are. Just in this moment. My second appeal is this, that if you feel like you have wandered from God and you just feel the prompting of His Holy Spirit to come back to Him, just to know Him, just to raise your hand where you are. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for those with arms raised, God. I pray, Father, that they would know your love today. I pray that they would know your resurrection power today. I pray, God, that they would know the life of your spirit in their very being, God. Would you breathe life on them Lord God would you bring the things to life God that have died and cause them to I don't know to just know that you have another move that God they may feel hard pressed and cornered but Lord today that they would leave knowing that you have done it all and God I just pray Father your blessing on every man, woman and child in this room today as we celebrate Easter Sunday. God, I pray, Father, that your resurrection would come real to us. That it wouldn't just be like an old story that's nice to listen to. But that, Father, we would know, God, that there's power. There's power. There's power in the cross because the grave was empty. I just want to encourage everybody to stand to their feet just for a minute. I want to invite the band to come up as well to lead us in a closing song if this morning you want prayer or you need just ministry you feel like you just need to get around people and just share your struggle or Maybe you made a decision in that moment and you're just like, I need to respond. There's going to be a prayer team down here just to the left-hand side of the, the stage area. I encourage you to come down and get prayer with them today. It's a great opportunity to just come with your brokenness, with your confusion. Maybe you're sick today and you just know that maybe there's an opportunity for God to minister his healing life to you. Then go and get prayer, go and get prayer at the conclusion of the service. But Father God, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for those here today. Lord, I pray, Father, that God, as we leave this service, Lord, that, God, we would know your presence going with us. Father, I thank you that we can know your presence and that it's possible because of the cross. Father, we see, God, that in that moment when Jesus breathed his last, there was the veil torn in the temple from top to bottom where your presence spilled into the earth. And God, I just pray today, Father, that we as Sunny Hill Church would know that life, would know that resurrection power, and that, God, we would go into life knowing, Lord, that you still have a move. Father, come against the spirit of despair. Come against the spirit of death. Come against the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, for those who are anxious this morning, we just speak calm and comfort. Father, I thank you today, Lord, that we can come in the name of Jesus and look to you and trust in you. And all God's people said, amen.